Ah, oh, well, now, <clears throat> if I've got my numbers right and my buttons right and I'm looking at my slider and there's there's imagery before my very eyes, then um, we should be live for Real Matter. Everyone, hello. It's not that delayed to start. Just a, just a minute. I, I do apologise. Uh, yes, everyone, it's Real Matter. It's episode 166, two half-forgotten but important railway crashes from the 1980s. Um, yeah, every now and then... Um, Partly for a bit of hashtag content, but partly because I think it's interesting to pick through them, and partly because I, I think it's quite instructive to look over things the railway have got has got wrong in the past. And um, we're going to have a look through. It's one crash report, but it covers two crashes today, um, because that's how we learn, right? Hello, everyone. Um, the other thing which we're going to do is we're not going to do the news. Uh, no, there is sound. Oh, a uh, quick question. Uh, so I was looking through some of the some of the reviews on on Apple Podcasts, which has been quite instructive. Thanks to all those who've left reviews. If you haven't, please feel free to. It makes the podcast more popular. Um, one of them was that the um, the intro music is too. That is the balance. Is the sound? I I've been listening back and it doesn't sound too. And I don't think it sounds too bad. But what are your thoughts on sound balance on bal- on sound level, you know, noise level of the of the intro music compared to me voice? Uh, thoughts on a postcard if you're not sure well listen in this episode and tell me <laughs> change it for next time anyway uh, of course episode 166 means we must uh give thanks for the uh the class 166 we're, we're into the multiple units now so we've got a fair our episodes are going to have all sorts of uh uh affiliations now uh here is a 166 taken pretty much in this a photo taken from pretty much the same spot as the 165 from the previous episode here it is three car 166 looking decidedly underwhelming um but yeah this this train uh has a, a lot to answer for the, the future of our dmus is um was 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 being founded here by the the network of turbos uh that's, that's it. people are saying it's generally fine yeah, there we go um right that's that's all there is really let's get on with it it's, it's gonna be a tight episode this one in theory let's see what happens shall we anyway uh let's crack on uh welcome to tonight's show everyone <laughs> There's no news this week because um, I'm going to do a news wrap-up next week because there's a few things I want to dig into a bit more detail about. So all that remains really is for me to crack into a um, into content warning just to say, look, there are going to be descriptions and images from rail crashes in this episode. Um, it's worth it to it's kind of uh, worth stating that no one was seriously injured in these crashes. But that doesn't make them any less triggering and unpleasant for people who've perhaps been in a crash or find the idea of crashes pretty horrifying. So just a bit of a content warning. Um, we're going to be going through crash reports. So... On the subject, before we do that, before we look at said crash reports, we must first talk about. We must first talk about fish plates. <laughs> What's a fish plate? We're going to talk about what a fish plate is. <laughs> That's what we're doing now. Um, uh, I was indeed channeling uh, Quaaludes Acaster there. Yes, we're going to talk about what a fish plate is because it's an important bit of of, of prior knowledge to this episode. Um, Oh, interesting. Uh, Rob Brewer, just as last week's episode 165 was heralded by 165 passing my flat, this week 166205 forms a slightly delayed 2, two kilo 54 to 7 Beach. Thanks, Rob. 
Uh, that's nice. That's a bit bit weird. I, I don't know what 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 what's going to happen next week. Who knows? Anyway, right. Um, what is a fish plate? A fish plate is a thing that connects to. Yeah, let's get my little face lifted. It's me. I'm in the corner. Hello, everyone. Um, yes. What is a fish plate? A fish plate is. It's this thing here. Oh, no, click here. Press Control P, and circle this like that. Oh, that's no good. Let's let's get a bright color because that's just a waste of time. Let's let's get a nice bright yellow. There we go. Um, press E to clear. Here's a fish plate. There's a fish plate. There's a fish plate as well. Now, uh, this picture is actually a feast for the P-Way nerds among you because these are CS3 fastings, post-pandrel, non-pandrel fastings for the real nerds out there. Um, yeah, SHE soup. SHC uh, hoop clips with a with a, with an elastic fastening here, with a and with a steel plate that goes in here, hooked through a uh, a a sleeper that we went through all the history of sleepers, didn't we? Well, the SHC sleeper is in amongst all this, um, and you can see, this is not relevant to fish plates, by the way. I've just gone off on one, and uh, you can see the hook. There's there's the hook the the hoop here, uh, and then there's another hoop here, and the plate. In theory, this gives you a nice elastic sort of uh, connection, but. The reality is that fitting these is an absolute pig and a nightmare, uh, and so even though there's SHCs across the whole country, they're 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 an absolute. They're, they're, we try to get rid of them wherever we can. Um, oh my God, Alexander Roderick, the, the, you you stopped the freshly released WTYP halfway through to come see this live, Alexander. That's dedication. Uh, points prizes anyway right i digress so there's all sorts of other things there's some there's some bonding that's been cut so these are there's some bonding cables here to make the track circuit work except that they've you know they've, they've been cut right, let me just show you what the so little it would be a little metal cable that would that would connect like that and then another one that would connect up like that um to just to make the the just in case this i mean you could this this transfers a circuit this this joint but just in case it didn't there's a backup little little Kind of a bit of bonding there to add to make sure that you definitely maintain your track circuits. Anyway, I digress. Also, you can see there's some horrible sort of P ballast that they've used. Does anyone know where this is, by the way? Anyone know where this is? Um, yeah. Oh, campaign for oh, campaign for Northeast Rail is saying why is it called a fish plate? Is it another example of nautical terms making up most of the English language? Goddamn. That's a good question. We have a possible way to find out the answer to that. Uh, where there he is. Oh, oh. Let's get Ellis out. Let's get Ellis out. Here we go. It's a good question. Oh, should we get? Um, should we? We have. Should we get desk cam up to find to find this out? Right. Here's desk cam. Here is Ellis's railway encyclopedia. Very good, useful reference guide. What Easter eggs are there in that thing other than my my watch? A packet of of of, of 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 dried apricots. Fish plate. Let's see what it says. Fish plate here. Uh, what the definition, official definition of fish plate is, because that's a good question. Uh, let me remember what uh, f this floater. Yeah, it's always good. Uh, F L no F I F I X no F I S uh, fish 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 bolt no fish plate. See fish plate. Okay. Uh, fish bolt fish bolt hole finished fishing fish 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 plate. There we are. Now is it going to give us the de ah? Here we are. Here we we have the definition. So if I hold this up to you. Yeah, look, fish plate uh, is there. There, this fish plate. There, it's it's there. That's the definition, and I will read it. I shall read it to you. I shall read it to you now. Uh, we have fish plate permanently, specially rolled or forged steel plates used in pairs to join two rails at a fish plated rail joint. Two, four, or six fish bolts are used through the fish plates and rail ends to secure the fish fish plates to the rail ends. 
there are many possible origins for the name. Here we are. So this is the bit that you're, you're asking for. Uh, uh, I shall continue using your YouTube name rather than who actually is, since I know who it is. Um, campaign for Northeast Rail. Um, three possible options. From the old French, fiche, meaning peg, combined with plate, literally a peg plate. That seems plausible. From the fish-like shape of early fish plates. Also plausible, because they do. They've got a bow bottom, a bit like what the deep-skirted ones we're about to talk about do, actually. And then, uh, according to John Wolfe Barry, from the nautical practice of fishing, meaning to splint a broken mast. So there you, there, there you go. There are the three different three different meanings so um i quite like those see also this is true rail to p-way style true p-way style see also cranked fish plate deep skirted fish plate emergency clamp fish plate encapsulated fish plate insulated fish plate jump fish plate junction lift fish plate junction fish plate lift fish plate skirted fish plate stepped fish plate straight fish plate tight joint fish plate see also william bridges adams random okay anyway thank you ellis for your encyclopedia of joy giving us all the information we need um uh, let's put that back on the shelf. Oh, incidentally, uh, while we're here, uh, look at this. This is an original uh, London Midland Region £109 Switches and Crossings book. The, the, look at this. Look at, the, 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 look at this. Isn't it gorgeous? That at some point we have to dig into. Anyway, I, I digress horribly. Sorry. Uh, I had this behind me for Rail Matters, and then I replaced it with. It was falling down and getting damaged, so I wanted to put it flat. I replaced it with beaching. Anyway. Um, yes, the klaxon did just go off. Anywho. Oh. Right, I digress. What is a fish plate? Well, that was the that was the wordy definition of a fish plate. But if I jump back, a fish plate, a physical fish plate. Oh, we're looking at pea ballast. We're looking at the the mess. This is Redmire. This is up at Redmire, by the way. Uh, anyway, I digress. So, um, a fish plate. Here it is. These are the fish bolts. In this case, we've got four hole. Uh, so it's uh, four fish bolts here going through a fish plate. The fish plate is this thing. It's this thing here. There we are. There's one. And there's another one on the other side here. And there's another one up here. There we, are. Uh, there we go. Uh, and there's another one on the other side here. And you can see that it has, in this case, it is a four-hole fish plate. Pretty standard. Again, you've got four holes here uh, in behind the bolts. Um, and you can see that it connects up to the end of the rail here. In this case, we have two flat bottom rails so they're flat bottom because you've got the rail head here which is a kind of a roundish shape actually it's if i clear all that the the, the, the head of the rail kind of looks like that and then it's got this shape here like this and then it goes back and then it's up and then it kind of looks like that and that's that's kind of the section of the rail that's kind of what the rail section looks like in 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 if, if you took a slice well you don't need to take a slice if you took the slice here through this bit here uh, there we are actually i can draw it because that goes like that and then it goes like that behind the fish plate and then it goes like that uh, except drawn better uh, kind of like that anyway so we have <laughs> this is flat bottom rail um this is 18 to 8 length panels someone asked about getting rid of fish plates and they added my name gareth was it you i'll come back and find it in a second here are two fish plates this is on fish on flat bottom rails which means that you haven't really got you, the space you've got to put a fish plate is pretty restricted so um but the the bending strength of rails is better so they don't dip as badly anyway so it's a more robust joint in the first place these bad things have happened here because this is a is this has become tight jointed probably from rail creep which means it's no longer behaving as a dynamic system that a fish plate that a kind of uh, a jointed a fish plated joint should um each of these these are expansion joints the, the purpose of these is is not just because we need to stitch the rails together but it's actually that we are splitting the rails into individual bits 
um, to make the rails easier to move around manually, but also to manage longitudinal stresses. So expand, you know, as, as these rails get hotter, they expand, and there's an expansion joint here, and this should be open to start with, and then it should, uh, this should be kind of open to start with, and as things get hotter, that gap closes up. So at a certain temperature, which by the way is 27 degrees Celsius, uh, that joint will be closed. Uh, actually, it might not be quite 27 degrees Celsius because the, the stress-free temperature doesn't necessarily tally to the, the, the joint closing temperature. But anyway, that is uh, two fish plate or four fish plates, two visible on flat bottom track. However, uh, and this is a little less clear in the picture, so apologies for that. Uh, here we have a bullhead rail, which has this shape. If I do the cross-section, it's got this kind of shape, which is kind of a... In theory, it was originally going to have the same uh, shape, top and bottom. It, it, it didn't end up going that way. But here you can see, firstly, you can see a nice wide joint just about here. You can see It's quite bright, so my yellow is no longer that clear. But there is actually a big gap here. If I draw a line to there and a line to there, there we go. You can see the gap. You can see the gap. Um, the, the, the expansion gap, which is nice. You can see it down here as well. Lovely. And you can see here, once again, here's a normal sort of fish plate, kind of a uh, kind of it's pretty, it's kind of symmetrical in the vertical plane uh, four hole. There's something different with this one back here, though, because if we draw this, you see there's this sort of funny skirt thing because uh, bullhead rail is kind of uh, in section, kind of this this bit here and this bit here are kind of okay. So there's this this shape between them, but actually that there's a there's a dashed line between them. They're kind of level with each other. You can have a fish plate that expands over the edge, which is exactly what happens here. You can see this skirt, as we call it. This thing here is a skirt, and this means that this thing here is called a deep-skirted fish plate. The point of this being that as we increase tonnages through the 1970s, um, and indeed before that, actually, but certainly in the 1970s, these got big rollouts. If you roll the tr uh, heavy axle loads all over the top of this, um, you would create a lot of hammer effect between the two ends of the rail and um, because the bending strength of the rails isn't great so uh, and also because of the way the fish plate sits in the bullhead rail it's not hugely strong in in, in kind of as it, as it gets walloped over um, so this extra skirt that extra thick bit of a bit of metal uh, whether it was cast iron or, or other uh, material helped keep, keep that joint a bit more rigid as wheels went over so there you go. Hopefully that makes some level of sense to explain what fish plates are. I'm going to go big face and answer a few questions because there have actually been quite a few flinging through. Uh, da -da -da -da. Simon Zev Kendler says, uh, not one of my yards. Correct. Uh, da -da -da -da. Gareth, where are you? Uh, you did ask a question and I've lost it. Oh no, blobby tables. Forgive me. Blobby tables. How do you get rid of a fish plate? Hmm. Well, let's go back to my small face and I'll tell you exactly how you get rid of a fish plate. In fact, if I'd kept the folder open that I was navigating in momentarily... Um, I'd have been able to show you a picture. In fact, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I'm going to find the pictures that I had a minute ago and actually show you exactly. Let's just uh, open file location. Yes. And find you a picture of what you can do to get rid of a fish plate. Uh, there will be one here momentarily. No, that's just two joints that are split over a bed, which is... Interesting. Ah, you can see an old, a wider skirted fish plate. These fish plates here, uh, also 86 pound rail there, which is bad news, but it's a digression. Oh, there's got to be a picture of a welded up. There we go. That'll do nicely. Uh, there we go. That's what you can do. Uh, in here, oh, it's not actually that clear, but basically this, you know, in fact, you know what, that's a rubbish picture because it's not, that's not telling me what I want to see at all. 
Uh, it's worth. I promise you, this is worth it because I this the folder I'm in is is my inspection pictures from a certain heritage railway. If I said Redmar, that means most of you will know where that is. Um, I'm just finding a picture of. There's a nice fish plate again, but you don't want to see that. What you want to see is you don't want to see a cracked fish plate either. Yikes. What you want to see is a. You also don't want to see a massive bruise on the railhead. No, you don't want to see that. What you want to see is a joint that has been converted from a fish plated joint into a welded joint. Uh, that's just a fish plated joint. Here is. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, the annoying thing is you can't see the holes in that, but. Ah, there we go. That's the picture I want. There. Good. That's the picture. So, as you can see here, to answer your question. Here is a, uh, just get that up and close that. Uh, here's a picture of uh, what used to be a bolted joint. And you can see the holes here where the joints were. And what they've done is they've just welded up the gap between the rails. And they and it, and it was very common in, in BR days to do that on alternating. So to create 36 meter strings, as we call it. So, so to weld every 18, every alternating 18 meters, you just weld up both joints. So, or, or you can sometimes weld up alternating ones to kind of minimize the, the stresses on the track. But that is one of the ways to get rid of them. The other better way to do it is to just pull up all the rails and ideally in this case, the, the sleepers and probably refresh the ballast and just do a track renewal and lay it with new materials um, far better. Because as you can see here, uh, problems as a result of doing this with a really poor quality well. Anyway, I digress. So let's go big face for any other questions before we, because it's already 20 past. We've not even opened up the PDF yet. Oh my goodness me. Uh, let's see, uh, at my name to see questions. And Michael C, forgive me if I've asked this before, but how do expansion joints work if you've got welded rail? Let's do a whole episode on that, but it's to do with the fact that we don't we uh, leave a gap in the rails, we pull them together, we weld them, but that gap that we leave... And then we pull them together so that there is a constant tensile stress in the rail that is zero at 27 degrees rail temperature. So um, so if you're anything less than 27 degrees, there's a slight tensile stress, which is good because it pulls the rail taut and rails are, you know, that's a, it's a long, thin thing. So you don't have the risk of buckling when it's in tension, whereas as soon as there's any compression, it, the, the, the risk of buckling is high. Um, uh, that ballast is a horror, says Simon. Uh, Gareth asks, uh, if it did have the same shape, top and bottom, could it be turned over once the top is worn? Uh, that was the logic with the rails, exactly. Um, it, that was indeed the logic of it. It never worked because you always got galling on the bottom where it, where it was connected. So where the uh, this bit here, where, where the, the fastening would kind of be clipped into the, you know, the, where, where it sat in the chair, it would get galled, uh, and where it rubbed, it would get galling, as in like rust and, and, and redu reducing the sort of section. So if you turned it over, it would look horrible and it would be all worn out and it would just be rubbish. So they never ended up doing that. Uh, la, 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 la. It's, it's a nerdy technical one, this one. Rick Townend, uh, why is the tradition to not have the joint supported? Uh, because you create the hammer effect that you get at the rail end would actually damage the, the, the sleeper in the fashion. You want some level of resilience at that. Some countries do put a sleeper in and support the joint, but I, my gut feeling is that it, it performs worse that way. You actually do want some level of give to create a dynamic system. You don't want a totally rigid system. Uh, Alice isn't necessarily right in this situation. Lewis Bergen's asking why 27 degrees. That's, let's do a whole episode on 27 degrees stress-free temperature. Let's do that as a whole episode. Uh, remind me to do that. Put it in the polls. Right. Anyway, let us... Get on with things. We must jump forwards to the 22nd of September, 1983. Uh, second trigger warning, uh, content warning, because behind this date is a picture of a train that has fallen off the tracks here. Uh, you might be able to see lots of slightly weird repeated cloned images, because this is an Alami picture that I have 
used Photoshop cloning to hide all the A's of. But you can see one at the end of the coach here if you look closely. Um, because there's no pictures available of this image. I've kept it in low resolution, Alamy. Don't be annoyed. Um, and also, I've sufficiently modified it that it doesn't count. You can see another A here that I've sort of half hidden. Anyway, point being, here is a train that's runned off uh, down the hill. This is bad. We don't want our trains to not be on the tracks, and particularly we don't want them to be on their side off down the hill. Why did this happen? Well, we have to read the crash report to find out why this happened. And you know what? That's exactly what we're going to do. So, and I have my mouse so you can see the mouse, so we can have a proper look. Um, oh, lots of questions about bullhead and, and fish plates versus... Continuous welded rail is infinitely better than jointed track, just on every level. It's easy, much easier to maintain by... just it's, it's much cheaper to maintain. So once it's installed, it's, it's almost fit and forget, really. Whereas jointed track, every, you know, multiple times a year, you need to go out, inspect them, lubricate them. Jointed track is much worse in hot weather because those joints close up. Whereas with welded track, you know, once you've stressed it appropriately, you're kind of sorted. Um, interesting. Thanks, Jarrett AO. Yeah, that's a little question. But in terms of the 27 degree question, uh, uh, Lewis Bergen will come back to the 27 degree question in a future episode because it's an interesting one. Um, right, railway accident. Report on the derailments that occurred on the 22nd of September 1983 at Lochry in the Scottish region of British Railways and on the 30th of November 1984 at Pershore uh, in the Western region of British Railways because we're going to bounce between both actually. That was um, in 1983, but in 1984. And thanks very much to Mike on Twitter for uh, sending over this uh, newspaper cutting because it's convenient and gave me an image to illustrate the other crash to give you an idea of what happened. 30th of November 1984, another derailment. But why are these two derailments coupled together? Hmm. <laughs> um, as you can see here, more than 100 passengers escaped when carriages of a businessman's special train left the tracks at Pershore and smashed into a bridge today. The railway doing praxis here. Um, yeah, the, here we go. So, yeah, this train coming off. You can see there's quite a lot of mess of the track. It's gone all over the place. It's quite a long train, a 10-coach train. Um, five of the 10 coaches jumped the tracks at Norton Junction in Stolton. Uh, golly. Yeah, not that's not good. Um, so why are these two reports, or two incidents, coupled together? Because this happened occasionally. They would couple reports together. Um, £5.30 in the 1980s to publish this. Yeah, you can find this on um, uh, on the, the Railways Archive, of course, by the way. Thanks to Gary Keener for maintaining an excellent uh, archive. So let's do this. Let's have a look through. And, and the text is quite small in these, so uh, apologies if it's so small you can't read. Um, it shouldn't be. If, if you've got this on a big screen, it should be just about big enough that you can read it nice, nice and clearly. Hmm, yes. Mm, something to do with fish plates, intimates Tom. Well, yes, perhaps, yeah. Um uh yeah see uh contrapunctus mammalia is it true that continuously welded rails can have negative consequences with track circuits at least where they need to be very exact i don't think so no um oh i see what you mean in terms of well no because within continuously welded rails you just put an ir an insulated rail joint and it acts as a as a continue it's still you know that that still counts as being continuously welded rail you just place your IRJ where you need it. That's not a problem. Anyway, uh, the other review, the other review, in Apple, or the same review in Apple Podcasts. Hello to that person, by the way. I'm not being annoyed at your review. Actually, it's quite that's sort of quite reasonably delivered f uh, feedback. You said you enjoy it, but it's a bit chaotic. Yeah, partly because I have ADHD, and partly because the point is, is there's live chat in the corner of most episodes, and and I think people enjoy that interaction, and that makes this work. Because if it was just me yammering away, this would be rubbish. Let's be honest. And my pre-record episodes where I'm not with a guest or out and about are a bit rubbish. So. 
as ever, these always start. If you're familiar with this era, the the railway inspectorate era of um, of crash reports, so right the way through to the to the privatisation era, sir, I have the honour to report for the this for the information of the Secretary of State in accordance with the direction stated. Da 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 da. da the result, of my blah blah blah. It's the sort of standard intro for um. Uh, for, for these things and kind of the, the the opening bit is basically the um the explanation of what happened um and but we will will not read the quick intro we kind of have a read it will set the scene and have a little read of um of the of the, of the body of the report so we'll talk we'll start with pit lockery so the pit lockery derailment pit lockery lies on the line from perth to inverness and is 28 and a quarter miles from uh, north of perth for the majority of the route, the line was constructed as a single-track railway with passing loops at the intermediate stations, including Pitlochry. The derailment took place on the single line between Pitlochry and Ballinuig, some 1,200 metres to the south of Pitlochry. Um, by the way, this line should have been jewelled a long time ago, but that's another story. South from Pitlochry, the, the line runs on a falling gradient in the up direction towards Perth. From Pitlochry Station, the line runs approximately from north to south to the east of the River Tummel, and with the roadway, the old route of the A9 um, trunk road through Pitlochry to the railway's east. Uh, okay, fine, yeah. That's the description of what's going on. It's lovely. Fine, 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 fine. Uh, the single line, it's worked according to the Scottish region's tokenless block regulations. The derailment took place beyond the signals at Pitlochry Station. The method of signalling had no direct bearing on the accident. Worth saying, pretty much exactly the um, the arrangement that the railway looks like now. Okay, they've extended that loop a bit further, actually, in, in, in Pitlochry recent, pretty recently. But by and large, this is, you know, the area indeed, because the A9 construction thatcher's a9 upgrade pretty much um it had been finished by this point as well so um yeah it's interesting that this is pretty much the railway and, and road layout that people will be familiar with now um to the passenger train what was it uh one tango zero four consisted of nine bogey vehicles <laughs> bogeys uh hauled by a diesel electric locomotive uh would, would, what do we know what it was we've got a load of non-passenger vans full of crap we've got two passenger coaches a tourist standard opens we've got a couple of sleeping cars and then a couple of another another couple of tourist standard open passenger coaches um yeah i don't know the codes well enough to know if those are if those sleeping cars and passenger coaches are mark one or mark two but from the image uh it was it looked like both to be honest if i flip back to the image uh let's flip back to the image uh it looks so that's a mark one which is it looks like a sleeping car but those are mark two coach or that was a mark two because it's got the, the the rounded yeah I, anyway uh, a mixture of coaches fine i don't know what the uh, locomotive exactly was uh probably oh no i do know what it was it was number 47470 uh it's a class 47 the best diesel local uh britain ever created anyway uh locomotive connected to the train by means of a screw coupling of the locomotive the vehicles of the train were coupled together by buckeye couplings uh, vacuum brakes coupled and operative throughout the train fine lovely um yes uh indeed so uh <laughs> Yes, uh, thanks, Graham. Uh, so track work, fine. There's a load of 113A-pound flat-bottom rails rolled in 73... Oh, God, pre-76 rails. Uh, supported on MRC-1 base plates. Horrifying. Uh, dated 1963 with Mills clip fastenings on softwood sleepers. Golly. Um, from 20... So that's for, for a bit. That's... What was that? That's just 30 yards. That's classic railways. Just an absolute hodgepodge of all sorts. Um, so... <laughs> yeah okay so then the next bit is is 95 pound bullhead rail rolled in 46 uh 60 foot lengths deep skirted fish plates 
Um, rails su supported by CS1 through bolted chairs dated 56 or 57 on E-type concrete sleepers. <laughs> That's not what I wanted to hear. We've moaned about concrete sleepers in the concrete, uh, bullhead concrete sleepers in the concrete sleeper episode. So I'm already unhappy seeing E-type concrete sleepers with bullhead on top. That's bad. Um, except immediately adjacent to the joints where there were AS1 chairs um, on timber sleepers because that was basically rep retrospectively applied because the the concrete sleepers performed so poorly next to joints, they just crumbled to bits. And then we're back onto, um, uh, oh yeah, and there's still bullhead, except that the, um, yeah, there were coach screws in timber inserts uh, adjacent to the joint where the derailment occurred. The rails were supported on concrete sleepers. So already I'm like, oh, well, there we go. There's some problems. Um, so fine. Some stuff about curvature and, and, and so on and so forth. Lovely. The course of development and the accident damage. Travelling at 40 to 45 miles an hour, the locomotive and the first three vehicles successfully negotiated the joint in the left-hand rail, the fish plates of which were both were both broken. Okay. Boop. What? What? Uh, broken fish plates. There's, there's, so there's your root cause. There's some broken fish plates. Fine. The remainder of the train commencing with the fourth vehicle then became derailed. The fourth vehicle uncoupled from the front of the train and still coupled to the fifth vehicle turned over down the embankment to the right-hand side of the line. The sixth vehicle uncoupled from both the fifth and seventh vehicles and remained upright on the line of track. The three, uh, the rear three vehicles still coupled together demolished the parapet of Underbridge 58, turned over down the embankment on the left-hand side of the line. The broken joint was on Underbridge number 59. Oh! Oh, golly, it was also on an underbridge. So we've got concrete sleepers and an underbridge, making it quite a resilient system on which Bullhead is very poorly suited. Uh, and we've got a kind of a, this this rigid joint. So there are lots of compounding fact, confounding factors here. Um, they're, they're not good. After the derailment, it was possible to rerail the sixth vehicle, one of the sleeping cars, but the other derailed vehicles, which were down the side of the embankment, were all so extensively damaged as to be uneconomical to repair, and they were removed by road or broken up where they lay. Sack those off. Yeah, um... Fair, fine. There was damage to telephone cable. You know, poor S and T folks. Cables were wrecked up as well. Fine. So there's a disposition of vehicles of the train after after the derailment is shown in Figure Three. Fine. Driver Ford uh, was at the controls of locomotive four seven four seven zero, hauling the twenty three fifty Inverness to Glasgow passenger train at the time of the derailment. Isn't that just an Edinburgh to you know Inverness to Glasgow passenger train with just a bunch of other stuff marshaled into it? You know, like a couple of sleeper coaches, some some post you know some newspapers in vans and possibly a couple of motor rail cars perhaps in the all the sorts of things that you could that, 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 that we had on our railways not that long ago it's weird to think of it anyway um earlier had worked the same locomotive the 1853 passenger train from perth to he told me that the locomotive was in good mechanical order and that the journey north had been without incident the return journey from Inverness was also without incident until after the scheduled stop at pitlockery he said that on the departure from pitlockery the train had traveled about quarter mile and reached a speed of between 40 and 45 miles an hour when there was a bump and at first he thought the locomotive had struck something on the line the locomotive then gave a bit of a shudder and there was a tugging and pulling from the train he shot off power and as he was about to make a brake application saw the back vacuum gauge fall to zero yeah it's always interesting to think what happens when it, when it happens behind you so it's kind of interesting to read the account of the driver um of what happens when that happens behind you is like oh you can it's interesting the driver can perceive that feeling of it oh it's tugging at something um, when the locomotive had stopped, both he and the relief driver dismounted and walked towards the rear of the train. As they did so, they met one of the guards from the train, and together they discovered the first sleeping car was on its side, and the next one was down the embankment. Um, uh, and there they are. They, they confirmed the driver evidence. Um, yeah, so... So there we are. He was traveling, you know, so there was a guard traveling in the leading brake van, which was marshaled immediately behind the locomotive. He told me that he heard a thump if we were going over a slack joint, as if we were going over a slack joint, and there was a rugging... 
uh, from the rear of the train. He steadied himself by holding onto the brake, uh, onto the handbrake wheel and saw from the brake gauge that the vacuum had been destroyed. So there we go. Um, Guard Marshall had joined the train at Blair Athol, gave the signal for the train to restart, and boarded the Glasgow sleeping boarded the Glasgow sleeping car where he remained, talking to the sleeping car attendant in the pantry of the car. Just having a nice chat on the train. Nice staff, saying hello, lovely. He realised that the coach was derailed and it was bouncing around as it ran along on the sleepers. He told me that the coach suddenly turned over and at first he did not know where he was. He was eventually able to get out of the coach and help some of the passengers out. Goy. Yeah, it's a pretty frightening situation. And so there's lots of people explaining things. So let's talk let's let's go now to Trackman J. Haggart. Told me that he'd been employed for just over two and a half years as a plate layer and that his duties included patrolling the line from uh Mul uh Moulin to Blair Athol, a distance of some ten miles, uh, when the regular patrolman was not available. During these patrols he made a visual inspection of the track, carried out minor repairs such as replacing keys. If he found a defect that this is the standard thing, people you still had lengthmen and, and people who are kind of in charge of their bit of railway. Um yeah, if he found a defect that he could not reasonably tackle there, he would resort it to he reported to his superior, either the ganger or the inspector. All these sorts of roles that essentially don't really exist anymore. Um imagine that, yes. Uh oh, lots of people discussing things. Um all sorts of good good chat going on. Good. Um, so this 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 chap, uh, what's his name, Haggard, uh, said that he patrolled the sectional line on Monday uh, when he would walk from the south to the north, and on Wednesday when he would walk in the opposite direction. To walk the whole ten miles of the line would take a full working day, as usually walked from north to south on the day before the accident. And he looked at both of the rails, but paid most attention to the right-hand one, as was his normal practice. It was a showery day, yeah, because then you kind of look at one, focus on one, because if you look at both simultaneously, you potentially miss things. So you look at one. Work your way along, and then you look at the you look at the same rail, but go in the other direction, and and you kind of catch things that way. It's quite a lot. I've done the same when I track walk. You know, I've done this role on on Heritage Railway. It's it's uh, it's a pleasing role. That's what those photos are from, by the way. Um, so uh, it was a showery day, and although it was not raining, he walked through Pitlockery about two. It was shortly after a shower of rain. It was dull and ground. So the track was he was wet. He noticed no defects in the track on the length of the line to the south Pitlockery, and he was, and was sure he would have seen a completely broken fish plate. Okay, fine. So there's lots of, so there's basically lots of input here. So we see lots of, we're going to read all of these, but you can see all the evidence collected, and they basically record the evidence, um, so on and so forth. Um, and uh, so then we get some, you know, so we've got evidence from lots of different people, uh, the divisional civil engineer um, uh, examination going on, and, and all the feedback, and then, then the, the senior carriage and wagon inspector for the the CMEE. For Scottish Regent, sorry, the Chief Mechanical and Electrical Engineer of the Scottish Regent, so the person in charge of trains for the most part. Um, and just some evidence from the, the, the damage that had happened, you know, the vehicles shedding their bogies. He was able to identify the site of the initial derailment as being on the underbridge, and he could spot the fish plates of a, a, the, the broken fish plates. You can see the marks on the inside of the head of the rail where the, the wheels had, had, had raised up. So they, all the telltales that you can get, um, uh, that you can pick up, that, that you can get, you can go and have a course in. in uh, crash investigation, rail crash investigation, if you want to understand how, all these little tells and things that you pick up to understand. In fact, we'll have a rail hour about it at some point. It's quite interesting. Quite an interesting subject. Um, you know, our BRB's, uh, BRD, the, the British Rail Research de um, Department, uh, here giving evidence. So again, they'll have they'll have kind of analysed what had happened and understand kind of what, what they'd expect to see happening. So just saying, yes, that's pretty much consistent with, with what we'd have expected to see. So they then go out, they get the bits, they put them back together again. So you get the joint and reassemble it. So here you can see these horrible E-type concrete sleepers. 
absolute hell sleepers. Um, uh, and you can see the joint, and it's a deep-skirted uh, fish plate, a bit like the one that I showed earlier in the picture. You can see, firstly, you can see the, the fact that this is a really walloped. You can see the, the end. I don't know how clearly you can see that, actually, but you can, if I zoom in, you can see the extent to which the ends of these rails have been hammered by your know, wheels passing over it. That's it's an unhealthy looking joint. If you're seeing that, then then it's it's not necessarily good good condition because every time a train goes over that, you get a hammer, which is obviously puts a load of stress into you know massive st impact stress into um, into that joint. Uh, but there you go. You can see it's it's broken, folks. Um, it's it's not happy. So the bottom of each fish plate fracture face had areas of dark corrosion, typical of fatigue cracks. The the reason the, the fatigue you can see you can tell a fatigue crack because it's been an open crack, so you get rust in them. So, so the area that's been broken immediately before the crash will be, firstly, it'll be spiky. It'll, it'll, it'll look like if, if you've stabbed, it'll, it'll look like chipping away at Parmesan. The, the bit where you put the, the knife through is smooth. The bit where it just naturally breaks away from the Parmesan is all spiky. Well, well, you know, kind of rough. That's what metal looks like when it fails this way. So unless there's a pre-existing crack um because metal is a is a crystal structure it has a crystal structure so you get that kind of erratic break other than where you've got fatigue so in the area where the crack exists you can tell there's a crack because it'll be rusty there'll, there'll be a dark rust a, a kind of blemish within the the broken steel and um, i think i've shown pictures of that when i looked at 100 ways that railway rails fail um so there are all four pieces of fish plate were steam cleaned and the fracture faces were um, de-rusted in an inhibited acid solution basically so that they could inspect them um, uh, closely and understand how these cracks perhaps had formed and understand uh, what had happened. So, so there you go. Yeah, and this describes it quite very nicely. So, bottom of each fish plate, you know, we described the dark patch grown over a long period of time. Upper part of the fracture faces was, in each case, a brittle fracture with fresh light brown corrosion and a moderate amount of damage due to contact between the ends of the broken ends of the fish plates. So, a bit of damage from them bashing into each other. Um, this contact indicated that the chair keys were in position when the joint broke and that the fish plates were securely corrected to the rail ends. Yeah, so just in case it was... People thought that maybe the, the fish plate had been broken as part of, you know, in the course of the derailment rather than a, an indicator of it. Um, in summarising his findings, Dr. Allery uh, said that the derailment was caused by the complete failure of the pair of fish plates due to brittle fractures initiated by fatigue cracks. Under normal loading conditions, the fatigue cracks would have been growing for a considerable period of time, although he did not consider the cracks would have been visible to a patrolman making his normal inspection. The fatigue crack in the four-foot fish plate predated the final brittle fracture in the sesside fish plate, but the brittle, the final brittle failure of both fish plates probably occurred about the same time. Fine. Uh, by the way, I'm using gendered terms here because that's the, the terms that are being used within the, the report. Um, for all the women who are watching slash listening, um, these roles are named in this case uh, old-fashionedly and stupidly. They don't they don't really exist like this anymore. We don't name roles like this. Um, these roles are open to you. Come join us. Um, screw these guys. So, right, that's pit lockery. There's a, kind of a summary of the pit lockery derailment. Let's talk about the Pershore derailment now. So, um, is, 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 are you following the story? So the cracks weren't new. No, absolutely. The cracks didn't happen immediately. They, those cracks had existed already. Ooh, plot thickens. How, what are we going to learn from that, though? So let us let us think about what's going on again. And when I talk about the, the best locomotives in the country, then it's because the 47s got everywhere and ran everything. Sight and signalling. So let's talk about Pershore. It's a very different part of the country now. Pershore lies on the line from Worcester to Oxford, the general direction of which is from the northwest to the southeast. Uh, a line currently famous because Newnham... Uh, well, no, okay, it's the other side of, of, of that, actually. But, um, uh, yeah, uh, ignore me. Newnham's the other side. Anyway, I digress. 
the general direction of which is from northwest to southeast. From Norton Junction, where the line to Gloucester diverges to connect with the Birmingham to Gloucester line, the Oxford line continues as a single track railway to Morton in Marsh. There's a passing loop at Eastham Station. Okay, fine. Lovely, lovely, lovely. The train. The passenger train was the 0705 Hereford to London via Worcester and Oxford train. Consisted of 10 bogey vehicles hauled by a diesel-electric locomotive. The leading vehicle was a non-passenger-carrying van that then followed in order a passenger brake composite coach, seven passenger coaches, and finally, another passenger brake composite coach. The total weight of the train was 334 tonnes. Yeah. The locomotive number 47500 Great Western weighed 117 tonnes. Uh, it's class 47. It had a cocoa wheel arrangement. Yes, we know. And a maximum permissible speed of 95 miles an hour. Same as the previous one. Lovely. Um, oh, you can hear my poor daughter who's not very happy. Uh, right. The locomotive was connected to the train by means of the screw coupling of the locomotive. Yeah, so it's the same deal. Buckeye coupling's fine. Track work. The track work on the line between 114 miles 52 chains and 115 miles 60 chains consisted of 95 pounds per yard bull head, 120 foot lengths. Ah, so again, 36 meter strings. They've welded alternate rails here. So a bit like what I showed you. So that question was a very good one. Um, oh, the report is labeled it Worcester rather than Worcester. Is it? Oh, yeah. Messed up. Uh, do they do the same again when they describe it later? Yeah, they do. How? Worcester. How bizarre. Very strange. Anyway. Uh, uh, supported in cast chairs with spring steel keys on concrete sleepers in stone ballast. Once again, concrete sleepers. Uh, the rails were connected by four-bolt, deep-skirted fish plates. The rails dated from about 1960, but the sleepers were probably about 12 years older. The deep-skirted fish plates were installed in the early 1970s. They were probably not new ones, but ones which had previously been used elsewhere. This section line was proposed for relaying in 1983, but awarded a relatively low priority, uh, cheap and cheerful. Following a concentrated maintenance program, including the mechanical straightening of dipped rail ends, the line was re-inspected in June 1984, because this is a year ahead now, we're in 1984, the previous one was 1983, wasn't it? And the condition of the line was sufficiently improved for it to be withdrawn from the relaying program. Fine. The course of derailment and accident damage. At the time of its derailment, about 8.10, the train was still accelerating after the reduction in speed over Norton Junction, and had reached approximately, so this is faster now, 75 miles an hour, so it's substantially higher speed. The point of the derailment was readily identified as a joint in the right-hand rail in the direction of the travel of the train, where both of the deep-skirt fish plates were broken in two, and a 5.5-metre length of the rail beyond the joint had been overturned outwards. Oh, yikesies. Um... Uh, on hearing a loud bang as the train ran over the joint, the driver of the train realised that something was wrong and made a full emergency brake application which brought the train to a stand a kilometre beyond the rail joint. Only the first six vehicles were still coupled to the locomotive. One pair of wheels of the fifth coach and two pairs of wheels of the sixth coach were derailed. The rear four coaches were all completely derailed and though, and although still coupled together, were separated by 608 metres from the front part of the train. So... Um, it's good that they're all still coupled together. The seventh coach was derailed to the left of the line and into the cutting slope. The eighth coach was skewed across the damaged track and the ninth and tenth to the right. The ninth coach was leaning against the brick pier of a three-span overbridge. Golly. And the tenth against the cutting side. So it's a good job that the energy of this train had been sufficiently dissipated by the time those collisions happened, frankly. Um... Tim Ballon's asking, they have welded two rails like that on a few heritage railways. Yeah, lots have that, mostly because not the heritage railway has done it, but because BR had done it when the heritage before the rail, heritage railway got hold of it. Um, so there we are. Uh, there we go. What else have we got to learn? So there's lots of evidence. Once again, we've got the yeah, uh, Mr. Weaver from the from the BRRD, uh, lovely, um, marvelous uh, British Rail Research Department. That's the, the that's what it, what it became. Uh, maintenance engineers. Um, 
The damage to both rail ends at the joint indicated that trains had run in both directions over the joint after it had failed. Oof. Golly, the last train to run over the line towards Worcester was a diesel multiple unit at about 2310 on Thursday the 29th of November. It is considered, however, that this train would not have sufficiently heavy axle loads to account for the batter to the end of the rail. A locomotive hauled passenger train passed shortly after 8pm on the 29th of November. It's likely that the fish plates were already broken at that time. So there's already an indication of what was happening. And indeed, the picture that you saw with the batter in the previous image, that batter might well have been occurred after those joints had broken. So they could have been broken for a while, which is interesting. Um, once again, they did the same thing, uh, same testing, um, and had a good look. Uh, there we are, deep square fish plates, blah, 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 blah. So... Further investigations. Let's, let's let's dig into the to what else was what else did they what other investigations occurred after these two and why have they been coupled together? So, the deep skirted fish plates for Bullet Rail were introduced in the early 1970s to replace right. So, those deep skirted fish plates they were introduced in the 1970s because we were seeing quite substantially increased uh, annual tonnages and indeed higher ton, uh, kind of axle loads. And it was the 1970s when we increased uh, when freight. You know, axle loads were increased you know, basically to 25 tons. We enabled, started enabling 25 ton axle loads, um, which needed stronger fish plates. So prior to the failure of both fish plates at one rail joint, which caused a pilopery derailment, the simultaneous breaking of both fish plates at a joint was virtually unknown. It's worth noting that fish plate failures accounted for some serious derailments. In 1981 was the last one, which was in, up in Elgin, which was the last of the fatal derailments as a result of broken fish plates and broken rail ends from star cracking. Actually, it's the fish, not the fish plate joint itself, but actually the, the rail end cracking within the joint that's a problem. So joints are already acknowledged as a problem, a serious problem at this point. Um, there was, however, considerable evidence that the cracking of deep-skirted fish plates was not unknown. The extent to which this occurred was not fully known because there was no comprehensive record of the numbers being found and changed by patrolmen. Yeah, keep good data. There's a there's, there's, there's little thing for us to learn there. Um, it's on the Cotswold line, is, is what Simon's pointing out. Thank you. Um, yeah, this is just the Worcester side of the recently opened Worcestershire Parkway station. Thanks, Simon. Um, in order to try to establish if the failure of the fish plates at Pilocker was an isolated incident or if it was symptomatic of a wider problem... Um, yeah, so uh, they, the, the, basically they inspected a load of uh, deep-skirted fish plates removed from a length of line during the programme renewal of the track. What's interesting is no one's specifically talking about the concrete sleepers as being the, the reason or the, the exacerbating reasoning here. I'm, in, I'm interested to know whether they picked that up by the end of the report, actually. Uh, they extended the survey during 1984 to all regions of British Railways um, from just the Scottish region. So they removed a sample number of fish plates from the track, sent them to, to BRRD, um, and results of the survey, which was drawn to close as the second derailment occurred, were not consistent. The three regions that carried out a mainly visual survey did not consider that deep-skirted fish plates gave cause concern for concern. Um, the Scottish and Eastern regions um, gave different sample sizes, um, but 2% of the fish plates from both regions were found to have fatigue cracks at the bottom of the skirt. So this is, a known, this is an issue that is certainly present. During 1984, BRRD, as well as examining fish plates on behalf of the two regions, undertook testing in the lab to measure the stress at various places in a deep-skirted fish plate subjected to load. So, um, there we are. We've got um, action taken since pressure derailment. Fine. Uh, so you can see we've got our different um, categories of um, of track based on... This is the original track categories before they were updated in network rail times. These are the original track categories here. So um, what used to be what used to be 4A is now um, 1 or 1A, but these are the old categories, and they used to do it separate by, by speed and by 
um, gross tonnage that used to be the way they categorize it. Um, we, we've kind of updated that now and simplified that system because that gives you quite a lot of different options, which isn't hugely helpful. Uh, and we, we know also that speed is actually less important than, than tonnage for, for dynamic behavior of track materials. Uh, anyway, a line with a maximum permissible speed of 125 miles an hour carrying 30 million tonnes annually would be classified as A4. Yeah, lovely. Um, fine. Uh, it's interesting. We've got the stats of how much, how many single track miles of bullhead rail there were at the time. 3,886 uh, single track miles. So what is that? That's about five and a half thousand single track kilometers of bullhead crikey 18 percent the total single track mileage of the british railway system yeah it's a good old chunk that has reduced a bit <laughs> since then i'm pleased to say um anyway right so we don't need that detail but here's a nice cross section of the uh deep skirted versus the regular um uh bullhead fish plates there we are. The, the difference between the two there's a nice uh, section there. there's a nice cross section of the of the the, the, the bullhead rail as well so you can see it lovely uh, this doesn't we don't they, they're always we, we never put them like this or you should never do them you should always do them the same either side because otherwise you eccentrically load the, the joint um, but this is just illustrative um, so uh, and there's a nice breakdown of the different line categories you can see how many bloody line categories this gives you B's C's D's uh, anyway um, so following derailment da, 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 um, all deep skirted fish plates identify as being 10 years or older um, or fish plates uh, the age of which could not be determined um, on higher categories of, of, of track on concrete sleepers. Ah, there we go. So they have realized that that's an issue. Should be replaced by new deep skirted fish plates. Um, not all the track with bullhead rails has deep skirted fish plates. Um, fine. Uh, da, 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 da. There we go. So fine. But they reckon the majority of fish plates in category B and C lines um, are, are, are deep skirted. The majority of all deep skirted fish plates were installed in the early 1970s and the instruction. Um, means that the majority of the 25,000 fish plates um, on 72 miles of track will need to be changed. It's probable that all will in fact be changed because it's less expensive to change the fish plates than to remove the existing ones and then clean them to establish the age uh, of the few which are not 10 years. So, okay, basically, they're going to replace all those because it's just easier to do that as a, a, in a working of scale. Um, fine. So they're, they're getting on with that. There's a... a, a, a the director of civil engineers asked the regional civil engineers to undertake the work as soon as practical. Orders have been placed with manufacturers to supply the new fish plates in sufficient quantities to enable the work to be carried out at the same time as the regular annual adjustment to and oiling of fish plates in the spring and early summer of 1985. Fine. Um, so there we go. Lovely. Now, what are the conclusions here? What, what can we conclude from this? Um, well, because there's, there's a bit to talk about here. So the derailments uh, were both caused by the fracture of those deep skirted fish plates. Um, at, at, bullhead rail, at a bullhead rail joint in track that was otherwise properly maintained. The fracture of the fish plates originated from fatigue cracks in the skirts of the fish plates between the rail ends. Fine. Okay, yeah, we understand that. The final failure of each cast of each fish, fish plate uh, then took place by rapid brittle failure. The inter interval between the failure of each fish plate within a pair was probably small. So once one went, the other one went pretty quickly because it was being overstressed. Uh, I will scoop up all the questions, by the way. Um, actually there's only a couple Gareth is this a brilliant example why the railway needs to be a unified organisation yes uh, Marvin the Android are the fish plates rolled steel wrought or cast iron um, they can be cast iron they can be rolled steel uh, these are often cast iron but they often end up being rolled steel there's a I'll, 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 I'm about to put a drawing up which will tell you what the material is momentarily um so it's interesting that they, they don't really make a big deal of the fact that it's the key problem here is the concrete sleepers. 
So it's interesting they haven't really picked that up here. The evidence suggests that fish plates with fractures which were visible uh, were seen and replaced by patrolmen even though senior supervising engineers may not fully appreciate the actual number involved. I'm confident that in the case of each of the derailments, had one or both of the fish plates been fractured beyond the fatigue crack, it would have been fanned by the patrolmen concerned and therefore no blame attaches to them. Oh, there we are. It's always nice. I, I was quite nice when they, they, they make sure that the worker isn't being blamed for this, um, which is good. So it's interesting that that isn't specifically being picked out. So what are the remarks and recommendations here? There's, there's some, some pictures which we'll have a look at in a second. Well, first of all, the, the BRB, the British Railways Board, are, of course, ultimately responsible for all aspects of safe operation of BR, a responsibility that they discharge most seriously and properly. Oh, there we are. That's nice, isn't it? The action to be taken following discovery that deep-skirted bullet fish plates are subjected to fatigue failure after they've been in service for 10 years or more is a matter for the board and their director of civil engineering to decide. Fine. Uh, here's a picture showing the, the kind of the fatigue cracks, so the kind of the dark areas of the where, where those breaks occurred. Um, so you can see that not much on the Pershore failure, which is quite impressive, whereas in at Pilochry it's substantially greater, but the t and the the tonnages at the, you know the the annual tonnage is much lower on on on. Well, actually, maybe it isn't actually because it's the Highland Main Line. It could be the other way around. I'm not sure. Not sure. Anyway, I do, however, fully endorse the action to change the fish plates. Fine. Um, ah, there. Here we go. I'll read that again more clearly. I do, however, fully endorse the action to change these fish plates for new ones on passenger lines where the track is laid on concrete sleepers. It is known that concrete sleepers, although they have many other advantages, are less resilient than timber sleepers. Resilience actually here specifically refers to elasticity, uh, as in bounciness. Um, uh, are less resilient than timber sleepers and when subjected to heavy impact loading can rapidly disintegrate with the resulting collapse of the track as occurred at Pershore. The logic of the decision to change the fish plates at joints with concrete sleepers is clear. The risk of fatigue cracking, followed by the rapid, f complete failure of the fish plate, together with the subsequent rapid destruction of the concrete sleepers adjacent to the rail joint, is obviously unacceptable. So we didn't read that earlier, but actually it's worth saying that the certainly the Pershore failure, it didn't happen at the Pitlockery failure because we saw the sleepers, but at Pershore the sleepers were crushed and destroyed by the failure. So you know that just means the joint is wiped out, which is bad news, obviously, in terms of supporting the track. Um... I believe, however, that it will be advisable to monitor closely the old fish plates that remain on track with the timber sleepers, and if situations are identified where the risk or the potential result warrants it, those fish plates should also be renewed. As can be seen from the photograph of the track from Pitlockery, unlike Pershore, the failure of the fish plates was followed by breaking of the chairs rather than disintegration of the concrete sleepers. Fine. So there we go. So they're saying... Um, once the once this program of, of replacement replacing is done, I recommend that not only should all the fish plates removed be disposed of, but that stocks of existing deep skirted fish plates, unless it is certain that they are new and unused, um, should be disposed of in order to remove the risk of old fish plates being used again as replacements. Okay, fine. So there's there's uh, no laid down instruction that patrolmen should so, so the thing about record keeping and data. Uh, fine. The the introduction of the deep skirted fish plate uh, took place over a very over a relatively short period of time in the early 1970s when the widespread introduction of vehicles with a 25-ton axle load necessitated the use of a stronger fish plate. While the relaying of lengths of line with either new or serviceable continuous welded rail will eventually remove jointed bullhead rail track, the pres present foreseeable rate of its replacement means that on many of the secondary routes, jointed bullhead track will remain for some years. Correct. I recommend, therefore, that the work to analyse the stress within deep skirt fish plates should continue with the aim of producing a design of fish plate less likely to be affected by fatigue. And a last point that's always worth paying attention to all the last points. It is a rolling program, Gareth, you're right, uh, of renewal. In both derailments, the Buckeye couplings between coaches separated during the course of the derailment. In most eventualities, the damage to vehicles, and with it the risk of more serious injury, is increased if the train separates as spectacularly as it did at Pitlockery and to a lesser extent at Pershore. And yet we still have trains running with Buckeye couplings today.
In the pit locker derailment, it was considered to be because the excessive vertical movement of the derailed vehicles caused one coupling to rise relative to the other and allowed them to disconnect. The reasons for the single uncoupling at Pershore was not as firmly established. It may have been due to the snagging of a release chain, or again, it may have been due to vertical movement. Um, there we go, fine. Uh, There's a discussion of the derailment of Bushy, uh, where Lieutenant Colonel A.G. Townsend Rose recommended that uh, means should be uh, found to prevent the vertical disengagement of these couplings. That was a previous failure. Uh, element. Although some modifications have been made to the Buckeye couplings, it is evident from these accidents that more work is necessary before the problem is solved. I have the honour to be, sir, your obedient servant, A. Cooksey, Inspecting Officer of Railways. Uh, that's to the Permanent Undersecretary of State the Department of, Trans uh, the Department of Transport. There you go, there's the report. Now, what happened to deep-skirted fish plates after that? What happened? Hmm. Hmm. Oh, firstly, let's have a look at some diagrams here. So, there's the point of derailment. And here's where you can see the train has kind of just fallen off the side of the embankment. Sleeper train that's upright. And then these bits that are on their, you know, the, the bogies here. Trains lying on their roof, lying on the side. And uh, here's the, the loco having pulled those other coaches further on. So that's not good. Uh, what about uh, Pershore? Where we have to zoom in a bit because uh, of the, the fact that this, the, the train dragged the thing for so long. Point of derailment here. Um, yeah, note the nice millimeters here in the early 80s by the way lovely job from the from the uh, the inspector very nice um yeah also the wrecked track as well uh, so there we go derailed coaches and then there's a bridge and actually wait a minute, there's the oh yeah because one of the coaches was resting against the yeah yeah okay um and then the split and then the rest of the train up this end so it's a good job that it happened under the back of the train, not the front of the train, but these wheels, it happened here, but luckily these bits kept kind of attached and continued on the track. But this still wrecked the track by the, the derailed bogies. So there you go. And well, I think that's that's it. That's, 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 our, that's our report. So, what can we learn from all this chaos? <laughs> it's, it's, it is, it's absolutely remarkable that no one was hurt, particularly the second one. So there's a good rule of thumb that 100 kilometers an hour is a good splitting point. Above 100 kilometers an hour, derailments can, can cause serious problems. Under 100 kilometers an hour, under 60 miles an hour, generally things are less risky, you know, less less likelihood of, of serious, because the energy is that much less. Um, so, uh, yeah, what can we learn from this? Well, first of all, uh, let's have a look at deep skirted fish plates. This is the this is the REPW as we call it, the um, the standard drawing for for deep skirted fish plates as they um, as they are here it is um, as 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 we install them today. We we still do have them. They are for, we we have bullhead rail. We still have all, all Great Western rail around, and so we have um, deep skirted fish plates to deal with them. And, and they're much and such the same design. Uh, you can see here that they've got this sort of uh, pretty much exactly the same cross section. If we in fact go back to the uh, you know, uh, back to the shape of the, the joint here, uh, you can see that it is pretty much unchanged. You know, there's, there's there's not really any change to them at all. So the section is it's pretty much the same. Uh, it'd be nice if we had a full detail of the previous one, but we don't. What is interesting, is, well, I mean, firstly, um, there are there's some stuff about the steel. So it's it's, it's steels in this case. They're not they're not um, they're not cast iron anymore. Uh, much more durable. Uh, we've uh, we don't use pear shaped holes anymore, so we get rid of those. Uh, and what's interesting is if I go down here and look at the drawing revision, this drawing is the original drawing from the seventies when they actually created the bloody thing. So um, actually, when they updated it in the seventies, they, they presumably when they rolled out these deep skirted fish plates at scale, they reevaluate the design. So the the the, the technical expert 
went, ah, okay, right, well, we're going to slightly improve the, the fishing angles, so that's some of the, 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 the various angles in the, in the joint to sort of some of the angles over here, um, just to make sure that it, 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 it survives a bit longer, is a bit more durable. Um, then, interestingly, at the end of 1983, so the 6th of December 1983, so in amongst when our report was being written, uh, pear-shaped holes replaced by drilled holes. There we are. Uh, 1997, it was redrawn in CAD. And 2009, uh, we updated the catalogue numbers, weights added, rail section names were brought into line with current with this current standards, uh, and there we go, marvellous. So there's the revisions we've got. This is a drawing on by Network Rail. Happy days. Andy Jones signed it off, who's the head of track engineering in 2009. It definitely is not anymore. A chap called Gareth Evans is the is, is generally responsible for this stuff nowadays. Um, anyway, there we go. Rolled steel is the answer. That's what it was. Rolled steel nowadays, but in the past it was other materials also. So... There's a nice, uh, nice drawing, uh, and uh, here, here's how the thing looks. And, and there you go. That's, 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 and, and you can see that we're still using these. Uh, uh, also, if you want the, uh, just in case you need to know where the self-locking nuts, fish bolts, headlock washers are, uh, that's RIPW two six three and RIPW one seventy. Just in case uh, for the nerds out there who need to know this stuff. Anyway, right there we go. So it's still there. We still use them. The issue, as we kind of just, as you realise, is is the durability of the joint, particularly on concrete sleepers. So that that you know, if particularly in the case where you saw um, at Pit Lockery where it happened on a bridge where you've got that additional kind of non-resilience within the system. Um, yeah, nowadays, so, so it's a very good point Alex Cusden just said, is that we called expand drilled holes too. So Elgin, the, the failure at Elgin in 1981 was the last in a long line of um, joint failures for fish-plated joints. Um, and essentially you've got star cracking in the hole within the, dri within the drilled hole in the rail. And at long last, and in a roundabout way, in fact, we did this, didn't we? We did four derailments that changed P-Way um, a couple of years ago. It was after the Slap Track episode a long, long time ago. Um, the That cold bolt expansion was introduced, which was in a, in a roundabout way had come from the research done after the Comet disasters. So interestingly enough, full circle on that one. Um, yes, we do indeed cold expand. We have a funny mandrel goes in, we cold bolt expand, and that means that you get a constant compressive force around the hole in the rail, Um but also, I think we called expand the the holes in the in the fish plates as well. So never ever drill a hole on site. Do not do that. Uh, and absolutely without cold expansion, and do not torch cut holes ever. <laughs> do not do that. Exactly as Alex Cousin is saying. Thanks, Alex. Um, spot on. Right there we go. Um, so we've kind of what have we what what else have we learned, uh, folks? Well. What's interesting is that we've we've learned a little bit about what happens when you do a, a massive, almost panicked change to the system, like we had in the 1970s. Like, oh, we need 25 ton axles. Right, okay, well, deep scrape fish plates. It shows why you do have to spend a bit of money on thinking about what the implications are of some of these big changes. Um, I think that's one. Anything else anyone can think of? Um, I, I quite, I, I, for me, I like going through these because they're a bit forgotten. These incidents, although they're pretty serious. Uh, thankfully, no one, no one seriously injured. But the derailments are pretty serious. I mean, not least in the damage caused in terms of wrecking the vehicles and and, and closing the railway. But you know, derailments, at, particularly the Pershore derailment. What was it? It's a, a, a decent speed, wasn't it? Where it happened, was it, it was pretty 60, 70 miles an hour, seventy five miles an hour, wasn't it? So it's high. It's pretty fast. Um, not good. I, I so so there's that there's the, the you know the, the, it's it's always nice to look at the sort of secondary impacts um, in terms of the research that had to be done and the fact that they then had this rolling program of change to kind of check the that these joints are not being fatigue cracking. Ultimately, this is what happens when you have knackered. It, the, the, the reality is that bullhead rail with fish plates like this is not appropriate under 
traffic really anymore and it wasn't actually in the 80s either um so renewing what you know being slightly ahead of renewals is not a bad thing which funnily enough is not what we're going to be doing um uh, in the next control period uh, jarrett ao is saying so fishplate puts uh, right so first things first this is on bullhead because it's slightly different on jointed track um you can have concrete sleepers and and and, and bullhead and, and sorry on flat bottom rails with jointed track concrete sleepers next to the joints is okay because um the rails are that much tougher the overall system is also the the problem with concrete they didn't talk about it in the crash report but the problem with concrete sleepers um on bullhead as we talked about in the sleeper episode i think is that there's no resilience in the system the the the, the cast iron plate is just on top of the sleeper i think they went to some effort to put wood in there for a while but it's just that so it's really rigid whereas modern concrete sleepers there's a resilient pad between the rail and the sleeper so you get a bit more resilience in the system so and the fastening got a bit of resilience so actually for bullhead sorry for flat bottom rail concrete next to joints is fine but as Jarrett is saying for bullhead rail wooden tie you need wooden ties basically get rid of concrete sleepers in bullhead track you need wooden sleepers in bullhead track for it to be appropriate and safe um note how much bullhead rail is still in use in london underground although a lot of it is being renewed now um, pretty much um are these older reports as good and informative as current ones no they're not they're, they're, they're often very good and, and some can be very very detailed but they they, they aren't as exhaustive a, a study as, as as the riib's current reports are um does the monitoring chain pick up these types of faults better yes yeah, so we don't ultrasound scan joints like that but any a, a crack like that and even potentially just a slight crack at the bottom might be would be would would likely be picked up by the the inspection trains yeah Bullhead is fundamentally the the problem here, and no, most of the world does not use bullhead rails, uh, so it is a, a kind of a uniquely British, well, not a uniquely British, but a largely British issue. So concrete under bullhead is the bad news bit, really. Um, that's the main thing. Um, continuous welded rail on wooden ties can be fine, but not great to be honest, because the wooden ties. I'll reword that. CWR with wooden t- with wooden sleepers slash ties isn't particularly good because wooden sleepers are light which means they're not very good at well they have very low they're also not great for embedding into the ballast they have a pretty low lateral resistance by which i mean they're not good at resisting buckling so ideally you if you have a continuous welded rail you want nice heavy concrete sleepers um alex cousin saying we do ultrasonic them oh yeah do we is there a case for using wooden sleepers for sustainability no um because they don't last as long so you have to replace them more and there's more carbon coming from chop from from going and replacing them than, than you get from chopping the trees down um so we're using hence why we're using composite sleepers um alex custom we do ultrasonic it uh, well there we go we do ultrasonic fish plates so that it makes things easy ha- oh is there a is there like a, a handheld doodad that you walk out and touch them with alex might provide us that information while alex provides us that information i am going to uh, briefly go big face and then go no face because it's time to end the episode because it's i'm seven minutes late and i was going to end it earlier and i have not done that um everyone thanks for listening on audio only hopefully that worked i don't know but hopefully um patreon.com slash gareth dennis uh paypal.me slash gareth dennis gareth dennis.co.uk slash discord and gareth dennis.co.uk slash merch for patreon paypal discord and teespring for the merchandise next week is going to be a news episode uh tesla is in a mess thanks to its driverless lies uh yes it's a news episode and we're gonna it's it's a it's a clickbaity title because you mentioned tesla a load of maniacs are going to drop into the um the chat no doubt which is fine um yeah good um, thanks graham for the i'm glad you enjoy the material science not a huge amount of detail but a bit we talked about fish plates a little bit some fun stuff 
Um, lots of research into plastic sleepers. Um, yes, that's next week. And uh, it only remains for me to go at Big Face uh, to then click... Uh, that was a good episode. I'm glad you enjoyed that. Um, uh, yeah, handheld sticks. Thanks, Alex. Yes, I thought so. Um, it only remains for me to say... Cheerio, everyone. It's been an absolute pleasure. Cheerio. Cheerio.